Lord, that's what we prayed this morning, that our fire would never go out. The fire would never go out for you. May the fire on this altar of our hearts never go out. We need you, Lord. You came to Jerusalem on this Sunday that we celebrate the anniversary of Palm Sunday, Lord. You came to this world in peace, offering peace to men, all men that would want peace in their heart, all men that want peace with God, were to come to you, the King, as the people cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They spread their clothes on the ground, probably the only clothes that they had. Most people didn't have changes of clothes back then, Lord. They threw their clothes on the ground because they knew this was a special day. A special day predicted, prophesied, I should say, by Daniel the prophet. It was the day that the king would ride into his city on a donkey. It was a day that was marked that the Lord God, coming as a man, as Messiah, would enter his city. It was that day predicted. by your prophets. And here we are today, Lord, thousands of years later, worshiping the king who came suddenly into his temple, into his city. And here we are, a church born 2,000 years ago, ready to worship the, the king of kings, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who came to blot out our sins the ones who choose to accept him Lord today I pray that you open the hearts of everybody listening online I pray that you open the hearts of everybody in this service I pray that you open the hearts of everybody in every service of a church that's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and even the ones that it's barely known, Lord, that they would see that there's something special about this man hanging on that cross. Because that man hanging on the cross is no longer dead. That man hanging on the cross came to life three days later because the Father raised him. And Jesus said, I'll raise myself if you destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll raise up this temple himself. And yet the Holy Spirit says the same thing was the Holy Spirit according to Paul in Romans chapter 8 verse 11 or 14 when he said the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and there we have the Trinity seen loud and clear the Father raised Jesus Jesus raised himself and the Holy Spirit raised Jesus and here we are to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords the God of Israel the God of, of your people that received Christ as your Savior Lord today is a special day it's a special day, Lord, when our hearts should be open to you. Open our hearts, not just mine, those out in the audience, not in the congregation, those over the internet, and those that will be listening down the road, who knows when, where, and how. could be a hundred years from today. But let them know this is a special day, and this is a special man, because he was all man 100% and all God 100% who laid down his riches for a time. 
he might redeem the lost. We love you, O Lord. Blessed be your holy name. Those of us at Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches worship you with all of our heart. We repent of our sins, Lord God. We pray that times of refreshing will come into the hearts of each and every one of us. A time of refreshing in the Holy Spirit. And we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. You may be seated. You know, this cross was supposed to be up here a certain color, but it, it don't want to seem to work here today. It wants a flash. And, you know, that tells me maybe God's trying to get your attention. Really. You know, a lot of people might say, oh, that's sacrilegious or that's religious or that's legalism. But you know what? Just maybe God's trying to get our attention. I've thought of it over the years. I thought of it. I'm going to let that cross, you know, blink green, red, yellow, blue, whatever color it wants to. And I thought, nah, it would be a distraction. But you know what? If it blinks behind me, take it as a, a word from the Lord that he's saying, pay attention to this, what, what's being going on here today. So I don't know. I'm not going to turn around and watch it and, and uh, you know, make sure that it's not blinking. But if it blinks, maybe the Lord's speaking to us in a different kind of way that this is an important message. So um, I just noticed that uh, the roof is being pounded on. <laughs> they were supposed to be here yesterday, um, but they never showed up. So here they are today to fix our leaks, hopefully, and prayerfully. And uh, you know what? This guy seems like he knows what he's doing, and uh, we're glad because uh, we don't want to ruin any more carpets or any more ceiling tiles or any more lights. But anyway, you know what? Be thankful. You sit in padded seats. I've sat in dirt in churches' floors in, in Guatemala. You know, be thankful that we have a roof on our head because in Guatemala, I've sat in churches and even preached there and, and other people preached there that had no roof or no windows. So instead of complaining like the children of Israel did coming out into the wilderness to God and they limited the Holy One of Israel, instead of us complaining, let's thank the Lord. We have a church that he gave us like eight years ago, almost eight years ago. Come August, it'll be eight years we have taken possession of this church, of this building. And we thank the Lord for that. We've had our problems over the years and, you know, with the building. And God has kept us here. So thank you, Lord, with all of our heart, we thank you. You know what, we, we have a small congregation, but Jesus turned the world upside down with 12 men. And he can do it again. With no problem. He can turn Boynton Beach and Lantana and Lake Worth up, you know, uh, he, can, uh, he can have them preach and change them as we preach the gospel. So next time you're online, those of you here who just tuned in online, you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're there. Listen, if you're local, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. We're only a quarter mile west of I-95 on High Paluxo Road. It's easy to find or easy, easy to get to anyway. If you're local, we've had many people over the years walk in the door uh, and find Jesus as their Savior and stay here for many years with us. You know, some stayed a short time, but, but some stayed for a little bit and then went home to be with the Lord, which is great. We, um, you know, God... A lot of people think, oh, if you're a small church, you're not doing a right. But I, I, I think you're doing better 
than most people because, you know, I've learned a lesson. A lot of pastors will say to me, how many people are in your church? And, you know, they'll, you know, and I'll say, they'll, they'll say, oh, we got 3,000 people in our church. I said, well, how many disciples do you have? Not how many people are in your church, but how many disciples? And that's important. Jesus told us to make disciples, and that's what we're supposed to do. Not just people that believe. Yes, we're supposed to go into the world and preach the gospel so that people might believe. But then they are just supposed to get trained and become a disciple. And a disciple is a learner. And usually a learner turns out to be a teacher. So praise God. We thank the Lord. So you're listening to Freedom Church. We're glad you're here. Our website, freedomchurchpb.org. Freedom Church PB stands for Palm Beach. .org. Go online, freedomchurchpb.org. You can check us out, find out what we believe in, who we believe in. You know, uh, we can, you can find out messages from years past. You can um, even donate online should, should the Lord lead you. So that's enough for that. I know there's people that just tuned in. Today, you know, we're, we're going to be in John, and we're going to be in chapter um, 19, okay? And I named this message, Father, I'm Coming Home. Father, I'm coming home. I'm going to touch here a little bit on Palm Sunday, but then I'm going to focus to where we go back to, you know, John chapter 19. We're going to see that they crown Jesus with a crown of thorns. And this is going to continue most likely next week at, you know, Freedom Church, you know, because we're going to take this, you know, suffering that Jesus went through into his glorification. And I want you to see that. And it's not going to be a two-part message, but it's going to be a message that, that's going to tie together because we're going to stay on this theme for the next two weeks. And by the way, for those online and those of you here, we've decided that we're going to have a communion again on Easter Sunday, which is next week. So I know we took communion a couple of weeks ago, but that's okay. The more you do it, the more you remember the Lord. So can't beat that. So um, we're going to be... So if you're online and you can't make it out next week to church, then, then uh, you know, um, get yourself some crackers and get yourself a little bit of cranberry juice or grape juice, and you can have communion with us as we fellowship with one another, even over the Internet. So, Father, I'm coming home to you. Jesus is entering Palm, you know, his city, Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday, what we call it today. This is a day that was, has been long awaited for by the Jews and, of course, Jesus himself. He was waiting the day when he could ride that colt of a donkey into the city of Jerusalem and bringing peace to men. That's why he came, to bring peace to men, peace with God for those who choose to accept him and believe in him. This is the day that was prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 25. And I'm going to read a couple of verses for you there. Seventy weeks, this is the 24th verse of Daniel chapter 9. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city, Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring everlasting righteousness, and there's Jesus Christ, to seal up the vision and the prophecy and to anoint the most 
holy. Therefore, know this, that understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seventy weeks and sixty-two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the walls even in troublesome times. And after sixty-two weeks, the Messiah would be cut off. The date to restore Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and the walls is recorded in history. It is March 4th, 444 B.C. March 4th, 444 B.C. Therefore, according to Daniel's prophet, the prophet, we can know exactly when Jesus is going to be proclaimed king by his city, the Messiah, the Prince. It equals out to 483 years, the 69 weeks that Daniel talks about. We're talking about Babylonian calendar of 360 days, not 365 and a quarter days. We're talking 360 days, you know, 483 years, which counts out to 173,880 days. And I know if you've been in this church, you've heard this before, because this is one of the most important prophecies that pinpoint Jesus Christ and Him alone. It would be 173,880 days, and if you count those days off, from March 4th, 444 B.C., you will end up in Jerusalem around 32 or 33 A.D., and, and, and it will be April. Whew. The Jews should have known this, but they didn't want to know it. The people were crying out, according to Luke 19, verses 28 through 48. People were crying out, blessed be the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. He rode a colt of a donkey. You'll find out if you read Matthew, the, you know, they picked up not only the colt, but the mother, the donkey and her colt. So they had two donkeys because one gospel clarifies the other gospel. Just like any trial would would take place when you have several witnesses, different witnesses. They see things in a different light or record things in a different light. So the priests were upset, not knowing the time of their visitation by Messiah the Prince recorded in Daniel chapter 9. They had no idea, or if they did have an idea, they just didn't care because they were seeing Jesus perform mighty miracles. They were seeing him, you know, heal the sick. They were seeing him, you know, laying hands on, on the eyes of blind people, and they were seeing. They, they knew that he, the deaf were hearing and the lame were walking and jumping and leaping for joy. And even no more than two weeks prior to this day, Jesus actually raised Lazarus from the dead, who was dead for four days. And all they care about is getting rid of Jesus. Now the people were recognizing him, but the religious leaders were not. The people were recognizing the Messiah. 
They're spreading out their clothes. The only ones they had, they might have had the only jacket they had, they put it on the ground so the donkeys could walk on it. And the disciples, they're, you know, they're, they're just saying, this is a special day. This is a special king. This is the king, the prince, the Messiah. They're spreading palm branches, and I'm thank Grace and Lewis for putting up all these palm branches and a beautiful job they did here at the altar here today, you know, for Palm Sunday, because they recognize this is a special day. Thank you. And Sally, of course. Sally's always the right hand of, of, um, of Grace and Lewis. So praise the Lord. Thank you. It's beautiful. It really is. And I'm, I'm glad to see that people take it serious. This, this is an important day. It's an important day. I tried to put a message together on this day alone, and it seemed like the Lord was leading me in another direction, but I had to touch on it. The religious leaders are rejecting this. The people are crying out, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Glory in the highest. The people who are supposed to be blind see, and the people who are supposed to see are blind. They don't recognize Messiah Jesus responds, because they rebuked him. Tell your people to shut up. And he says, if they do not speak out, the very rocks will cry out. Wow. This day was long awaited for. The angels in heaven, by God the Father himself, even by the Holy Spirit. And it was long awaited for by men and women of God, like, like Simeon and Anna and Zechariah. It was long awaited for. Their eyes were open. You say, sure, rocks are going to speak. They sure will. You know, at the crucifixion, the rocks spoke in a way that you didn't, you would never recognize unless you think. The rocks said, the blood of the king, and it, the earth quaked, and it spoke. What did you guys do? What did you do to the prince? Even Psalm 148, 7 through 13, and Psalm 96, 1, 11 through 12 say this. Speak of trees, they cry out. Hills cry out. Oceans cry out. Rivers cry out. Mountains cry out. Valleys cry out. Cattle cry out. Creeping things cry out. Bars of the air and cry out to the Lord. They all give thanks to God. But mankind, he fights it. He can't give thanks to the Lord. You have your next breath comes from God Almighty. Because when he says that's it, that's it. It's time for you to all give praise to God. Yes, the walks will cry out. Will they cry out in a voice? I believe they probably would. Not just quake, but cry out in such a way. At Jesus' death, you know what happened. The earthquake, it was thundered, it was lightning. You know, the, the, the soldier fell on his face, on his sword, saying, surely this is the Son of God. Jesus draws near. When he drew near, drew near, he saw the city and he cried over it. He cried over the city. He wept. The king of kings cried. His heart was broken because they did not recognize the day of their visitation. The Lord had been in the temple many times about this time. They didn't recognize him. They didn't understand. They would rather have money 
ripping people off instead of pointing people to Jehovah, the living God. At this point, Jesus may have been saying within himself, Father, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Because within a few weeks, a few days, he would be home. A little boy was sick on Palm Sunday, and he stayed home from church with his mother. His father returned holding a palm branch. The little boy was curious, and he asked his father, Dad, why do you have a palm branch? Dad answers and said, You see, son, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved the palm branches to honor him, so we got palm branches today. The little boy goes, oh, shucks. The one Sunday I miss church and Jesus shows up. Let me tell you something. Jesus has been here every time the doors were open to this church. Every time. Oh, shucks, he's here. A lot of people in churches today don't even realize it. They're just going out of, out of legalism maybe. Or they're just because their mom and dad did it. No. Jesus is here. You need to open up your eyes and see. Open up your ears and hear what the Holy Spirit has to say to you today and every time you're in church. John chapter 19 is our text. Jesus is facing six trials at this day, actually seven. Six of them are man-made trials, and the seventh is a, a, a spiritual trial. Father, I'm coming home, because Jesus knew this. It was marked in Daniel chapter 9. Jesus knew the exact day he had to be in Jerusalem. Jesus was on a time schedule. Did you know that? He was on a time schedule. He had to be in Jerusalem for, for, a panic, for a Passover, a certain day, which would fulfill Daniel's prophecy. And he knew he was about to go home. He knew it. This began Thursday morning, and I know you say, oh, no, it began Friday morning. And I, don't, I, don't, I, I could prove it scripturally that it wasn't thir a Friday. And I'm going to go to the main scripture, which would be Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, where Jesus said, as Jonah was in the heart of the, or was in the belly of the great fish or the whale, so will Jonah, so will I be in the heart of the earth. Three days and three nights. If you put Jesus and bury him on Friday, you have Friday night, Saturday night, that's two nights. And I know there's scholars that will probably disagree with me, and I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is Jesus came, he died, he's buried, and he's risen. That's what matters. But the point is, I'm sure it died on a Thursday. Well, it began on Thursday, Thursday. And by 3 o'clock on Thursday, Jesus was on the cross. And he died, and he was in the grave Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday, the first day of the week, he arose from the grave. Six trials. Jesus knew he's on his way home. The only thing that probably got him through this crucifixion was his eyes were on the Father. And that's the only way you're going to get through your trials is through keeping your eyes on the Father, not the pastor, 
the master. Jesus faces six trials. The one was before Annas. The other before Annas was the, the true high priest. And Caiaphas was the Roman appointed high priest. And then he was before the Sanhedrin. And then he was before Pilate. And then he was before Herod again. And then he was before Pilate the second time, who found him guiltless. But the other six trials found Jesus guilty. <coughs> he was guilty, supposedly, of blasphemy, keeping or making himself equal with God. And see, he would have been a sinner had he said any different. He was the king. He is the king. And they had to make do even lies and deception to get him put on the cross, to get him out of their hair. Potlet even found him guiltless. The Jews insisted on this punishment for Jesus. The seventh trial was, I believe, the same day that he rose from the grave, but it's the same day in kingdom because Jesus said to the, the cross, uh, that a guy on the cross, or most likely on his right side, he said, today you'll be in the kingdom of heaven with me. So it's today in the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, Jesus was found guiltless by the Father, and the proof is in the resurrection because the wages of sin is death. Jesus died physically, but he could not die spiritually in the spirit. Romans 8.3 says it best, For what the law could not do, it, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. God condemned yours and my sin in the flesh because of Jesus. He took all your sins, past, present, future, from day one until now and until the till the, the kingdom is restored. Even Peter says, who did not sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Jesus was not a sinner. The Jews said, you know, Jesus even told the Jews, hey, tell me, where, where point out my sin. And they couldn't do it. They could pull out, you know, his, his uh, going against tradition. I went against tradition by telling you today that Jesus died on Thursday. I don't believe it was Thursday. The certain church had strong power in those days, and, and it just went into it. But if people would read their Bible, I think they'd find out. And that's the trouble. A lot of those denominations tell you not to read their Bible, pay attention to the pastor. But if the pastor goes off on a tangent somewhere, you are in trouble, which you know of because you've seen probably many pastors even fall. John 19. Let's read a few verses. We're at Pilate, remember? So then, Pilate took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers twist, twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put it on him, a rope, purple robe, and they said, Hail the king of the Jews, mocking him. That's not in the scriptures, that's me. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. 
Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him. I find no fault in the man. What a weak politician, huh? And the Jews answered him, We have no law, and we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was even more afraid, and went into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. And Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, I'm going home to the Father. He said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And from then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Look at that. They hated the Roman government. Look what they're saying. Anything to get rid of Jesus. But Jesus, therefore, when Pilate therefore heard this saying, he brought Jesus out and sat him in the judgment seat, and sat in the judgment seat, in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Golbatha. Now it was the praetorian day, preparation day of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then he delivered them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. Let's just capitalize on that for a while. The scourging. You've heard of it if you've been in this church a while. You know, this was, this was punishment without actually killing somebody. But if the lector actually killed them, it was, it was actually a courtesy. And that lector whipped so hard, he tried to kill them. This was scourging with the cat of nine tails. The lector wanted the person dead because he had a reputation to uphold. Each time it would get harder and harder. The Jews only would take it up to 39 times, as you well know. And how many times did I tell you this is Roman punishment? He could have did it 10 times. There could have been 110 times. Even though it looks like Rome is in subject to the, to the priests, it, it's amazing. They aren't. But it sure looks like it. They're controlling this whole issue, even to the end of the, when Jesus is uh, resurrected. They're even controlling Pilate to save the lives of the soldiers that were at the tomb, guarding it. They took care of it. They said, don't take care of it. Here's some money. I'll take care of it. And they did. Obviously, we don't see that those soldiers died. They would have under Roman law. They should have died. They should have been killed. The instrument 
was the cat of nine tails, long tip whip with about 12 foot of strips on it, and it had metal and bone and pottery on the ends, and it would just tear you up. The biblical description given by David in Psalm 129.3, it says this, The plowers plowed my back. They made their furloughs long. His back was plowed by a cat of nine tail. Nine tails with bone and pottery, glass, whatever they could find. Isaiah 53 says that by those stripes on his back, we are healed. You know what? If you say there's no healing today, then you know what? Why does the scripture say by his stripes we are healed? Huh? Why is it even in the scripture? Listen, by the stripes of Jesus you're healed. It's written right there in Isaiah 53. It's also written in in 1 Peter that by the stripes of Jesus we were healed. We were healed way back when Jesus was whipped. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on the head. The crown, according to Genesis 3.18, God pronounced a curse on the ground. And the ground would bring forth thorns and thistles. Do you know that Jesus wore the curse that God put on the ground? He wore it on his head. He wore it on his head. Jesus was taking all of your sin, all of my sin. Thank you, Jesus. The thorns are a product of the fall of, fall of man and their sin. In the symbolic sense, Jesus is bearing all of man's sin, even the curse of the ground on his head. They put it on him. Then they put on him a purple robe, blue and red, make purple. Did you know that? He was going home to the Father. Father, I'm coming home. Heaven, the blue sky. And sin, though your sins be red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. That scarlet robe represented royalty. It represented the blood of the Messiah healing the sins of mankind or blotting out the sins of mankind. And the blue was he's headed home to the Father, to the sky, to the heavens. Verse 3, and then they cried out, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Now, one of the Gospels tells us that they blindfolded him and struck him with his hands, which is even more, more detrimental to the power of the blow because he had no idea where it was coming from. Left, right, uppercut, who knows? He didn't know where it was coming from, and he does more damage that way. If you know it's coming from, the, from over here, you're going to go like this and block it. But no, Jesus had no idea. It was the intersection of the heaven and the sin of man that produced the purple. Then he said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck him with their hands. Matthew tells us there was a garrison of men who arrested him. And a Roman garrison, I think, is, is, I think it's too much. I don't know why they would do this, but a Roman garrison is 600 men. Why would they need 600 men? In the Garden of Gethsemane to arrest Jesus, who never picked up a sword? I don't know. All I know is they wanted him dead. They beat him over the head. Of course, he's wearing a crown of thorns. 
They wanted him out of the way, even the soldiers. Verse 4, Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to him, Then behold the man. Isaiah, don't forget, he's beat to a pulp. He's crowned with thorns. He's wearing a red robe, blood all over the place. And here's what Isaiah tells us in chapter 52, verse 12. Just as many were astonished, astonished at you, so his vintage was marred more than any man, and his form more than it, the sons of men. He was a mess. He was, he was beyond recognition. He should have been dead. And you notice when Jesus died, he gave up his spirit. You know, when you die, you can't give up your spirit. You're gone. Jesus gave up his spirit. He should have been dead probably at this point, but he was not because the scriptures were not fulfilled. Imagine what has happened over the last few hours. He's, he, he's, he's weakened the blood all coming up to the surface and out of his body. He's beaten before Annas. He's blindfolded and, blindfolded and beaten before Caiaphas. He's scourged. He's, you know, the, the, the thorns are driven into his skull by the blows. The robe was peeled off his back because the blood was clotting and it was peeled off again only to, only to make more blood. Jesus was a mess for you and for me and you can't even get out of bed. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. He was scourged. Matthew tells us in 27 that that robe was peeled off his back. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says his beard was ripped out. I know you use guys with beards. I keep mine kind of short, but you have a beard and you pull it. It hurts, man. You can pull out the hair and you can bleed. Isaiah 52 14 says that he is unrecognizable according to the version that you read. How much more can a man take at this point? Jesus and his followers knew that he would soon be dead. Still, it's not enough for the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. Look at verse 6. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, You take him yourself and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews want the ultimate crucifixion. Oh, they've hated Jesus for over two years. This crucifixion was known as the most cruel form of capital punishment ever, invented by the Persians. Darius crucified over 300 Babylonians. It was perfected by the Romans, and it was so horrible, the worst of any torture, and Jesus had to go through it because he was going to drink every drop of the wrath of God against man's sin. This 
was so horrible, it was reserved for only slaves or Gentiles. If you were Roman, you would never see this kind of punishment. And we know that from Scripture because Paul pulled out his Roman citizenship in order not to be scourged and crucified. It's degrading. You're stripped. Jesus had no loincloth on. He was naked, degrading him. It was the dreaded of most physical, of all physical torture. Sometimes people would die after 32 hours. Sometimes it would take 13 days. Sometimes they would be dead before they ever get there. In 66 AD, 3,600 Jews were crucified. But Pilate saying in his conscience, this man is innocent but he is a weak politician a weak politician he would rather have the constituency of a bunch of liars thieves and murderers than to stand up for a righteous man not only to recognize that he was in trouble with caesar in rome because caesar was was uh putting pressure on him he didn't want to lose his position Verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law, according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself to be the Son of God. That's the charge, the Son of God. And Leviticus 24, 16 says, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. And Jesus is claiming to be God. Verse 8, Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid. Imagine Pilate. Here's his wife. She comes out. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. His wife comes out and says, I had a dream. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. He didn't listen to his wife. I guess us guys always do that. We get in trouble a lot. This woman was dead on. She just wanted, okay, he's scourged and tortured. Leave him alone. He is a righteous man. She knew that this was going to be a great loss to the world because of her dream, a great loss to her husband. And you know what? Pilate didn't last long after this. Never a man spoke. Never a man was more silent than Jesus. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He didn't even defend himself. You know why? Jesus knew he was going home to the Father. This day was planned. Jesus' time schedule was right on target. And Pilate said to him, You are not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, Jesus could have no power. Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Jesus isn't even defending himself. He's telling him, Hey, you know what? I'm here. I have a purpose. He doesn't even defend the Father's reputation, Jesus. This had to happen, or you and I would be eternally dead. The 
Father isn't failing him. He's allowing it by his will. It pleased the Lord to have him crucified. You know why? Because he loved you and I so much. He took it upon himself. Jesus just lifted his head probably towards the sky and said, and prepared himself to die because this is the way, this is why he came. Verse 10 continued, Therefore the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Jesus is saying, Pilate, you think you're a mighty player in this, but you're a pawn in this. You're a minor player. You're not in control. God's in control. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself to a king speaks against Caesar. The Jews are using Pilate's weakness against him. These are horrible people. The Gen- they, they say the Gentiles were bad. These are horrible people. The Gentiles were following Jesus. He didn't even go to the Gentiles. He was only going to the Jews. It was the Gentiles that followed him. Some Jews, Jews did, but most of the Jews following Jesus were trying to get a, a bad a bad thing against him so that they could get him crucified. The Gentiles follow him, and even today, the Gentiles follow him sometimes, and I'm glad I know many of them over the years and even been part of discipling Jews that were converted to Christians. I did a memorial not too long ago, a few months back. The fellow was a Messianic Jew, good, good friend of mine, loved him a lot. I did his memorial to a bunch of Jewish people, and they did not like what I was saying. Of course, his wife and children did. Thank you, Lord. Therefore, the one who delivered me. You know, this talks. This speaks about there are greater sins and lesser sins that you'll be punished for. There's different stages of hell. That's not a study we're into today, but that it points to that. Verse... Um, Verse 13, well, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat him, sat in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but the, in Hebrews, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, Roman time, that is, that would put it at 6 a.m., These trials were all performed between the Passover supper and 6 a.m. in the morning. Jesus had no sleep, even weakening him more. And he said to the Jews, Behold your king. The truth is, he is the king. They did not recognize it. Verse 15, John chapter 19. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answers, we have no king but Caesar. This is incredible. They hated Jesus so much that it superseded their hatred for Rome. Rome is on a material level, 
but Jesus affected them on a spiritual level. Verse 16, when he delivered him to them to be crucified, Pilate has just failed the test. His own life is on the line, and he chooses his life. And it's the same today. People choose to say others over themselves over others. Matthew 27:24, Pilate gets a bowl of water and he rinses his hands and he proclaims his innocence. Yet the scriptures say all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The history, the washing of hands were of no significance. And your washing of, the, of your hands, if you want no part of Jesus, is, is uh, of no significance to the forgiveness of your sins. He must be washed, and you must be washed in the blood of Christ, the Messiah. No water will cleanse away your sin, whether you like it or not. No water will cleanse away your sin. The wages of sin is eternal death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You're saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. Pilate can't wash away this sin. It's there. It must be washed in the precious blood of Jesus. Pilate was removed from office three years later. He was driven insane and committed suicide. That's what tradition says. And Tactius, one of our church forefathers, tells us this. And it was in connection with the crucifixion. It's a pathetic end. It was a wrong turn for Pilate. He should have listened to his wife. But this day was planned, and Pilate was the man. In his spirit, Jesus now, he knows it's over. He's coming home to the Father. He's going home to the Father. There's no doubt about it now. This is commitment is there. He was committed before he ever started. Before he was ever born as a baby, he was committed to this end. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he was bearing his cross. He either carried the entire cross, which probably would have been too too heavy for him. Probably would be over two, three hundred pounds. He was in a weakened state, of course. Or he could be carrying the cross beam, which I think is called the patabellum. I'm not sure. And Simon, according to Matthew chapter 27, is commissioned to help. Because Jesus couldn't even carry the, pat the, the cross beam, which probably weighed 100 to 110 pounds. He was so weak beaten, and he should have been dead. He went out, bearing his cross, he went out to a place called the skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on the either side, and Jesus in the center. In the crucifixion, here's what happened. 
If he wasn't already naked, he was stripped naked. He was laid down on the crop of the cross, stretched out by four soldiers to his wrists and his ankles. Eight-inch spikes were driven through his metacarbial nerves, I would say. I don't believe it's a palm of the hand. His weight would have ripped it right out. It was most likely missing the artery. The Romans had done hundreds, if not thousands, of these, and they knew exactly where to place that eight-inch spike. And even if they hit the artery, I don't even think they'd care. Because this guy, all, the, all those that had capital punishment were as good as dead. They bent his legs, and then they drove spikes through the metatarsal bone, not a metatarsal, metatarsal bones. With a peg at the groin area to keep the man up, He was heaved up in place. The base was probably most likely dropped into the hole, and he was lifted up and jolted into the hole, dropped into the hole in a jolt, and all his bones became disconnected. Breathing was the problem. Crucifixion is basically suffocation. He has to push himself up on his legs, which were nailed. He had to push himself up to get a breath, and that's why people didn't understand him when they thought he was calling Elisha. If you were in that position, would you even be able to talk? But Jesus is ready to go home. But it isn't fulfilled yet. It's close. They nailed him to the wooden cross, fulfilling Psalm 22. Let me read that to you, Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, but I am a worm and no man. I am a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me as he's hanging on that cross. They shoot out their lip. They shake their heads saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in the Lord. That's mockery. Verse 11, be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint to jolt. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My mouth, tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. <coughs> Excuse me. They took, look, and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to my help. Deliver me from the sword my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. Pilate, do you see the crucifixion in that? Or are you blind? Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. It was custom that, that the sign would be on the cross so that the people would know this punishment is for murder, 
whatever you, blasphemy, whatever it may be, that sign was there for that purpose. Jesus' charge was, you know, he was the king of the Jews. The writing was on the cross to inform, to warn, and to humiliate people. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And, of course, it was written in three languages, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek so that all would know, because this was Passover, and all the Jews were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which was about, normally about 100,000 or a couple hundred thousand people, was now about two and a half million people. And then if you look at Luke 24, whenever Jesus appears to the guys walking to the road to Emmaus, they were shocked. They said, are you the only one that does not know what happened in Jerusalem? A paw prophet, mighty indeed, was crucified. See, even the, the apostles are saying everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. 2.5 million people, maybe even 3 million people. Latin, Greek, Hebrew. Therefore the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews... But he said, I'm the king of the Jews. You know what? I remember years ago, when I was studying at the Bible College in Fort Lauderdale, the one year the city came down on the church that, that I was involved with, which was Calvary Chapel, they had a sign out there that says, Jesus is Lord. You know, the city came in and they said, you've got to remove that sign or you've got to put in, you got to put in front of it, Calvary Chapel says, Jesus is Lord. Isn't that ridiculous? That's what's happening here. No, he's not the king of the Jews. He said he was the king of the Jews. Well, he is the king of the Jews. I'm here to tell you today and those over the Internet, he is the king of the Jews, and he's my king, and hopefully he's yours. But he said, Pilate, I am the king of the Jews. Amazing. They're still not satisfied. They're after Jesus no matter what. It's symbolic of their past. As I said, they were always complaining. Read Psalm 78, especially verse 41 to 43. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Now he takes a stand. He weak towards the Jews, but now he takes a stand for God. For us today, because he is the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. If you kill Jesus, since he's the king of heaven and earth, if you kill Jesus, you aren't going to change his identity. Verse 23, then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garment and made four parts and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Parts were four, some of his tunic, his vesture was four parts. Four soldiers divided it up. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one place. It's interesting that this, tumb, this tunic is seamless. Here's what Exodus 28.32 says, The high priest's garment was to be seamless. Another sign that Jesus Christ is the Lord. He is 
the high priest of Israel. There were no lambs sacrificed this day. It was the Lamb of God that was sacrificed this day on Good, Good Friday, Good Thursday, I'll call it. It was the Lamb of God. You notice at the Passover dinner, there was no lamb there. They didn't have any lamb. It's not mentioned in the Scriptures. The lamb was sitting in the middle. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the high priest. He wore the high priest's garment. Hebrews 14.4 says, Seeing then that they have a great high, we have a great high priest, who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Don't give up. Don't give up. Jesus Christ is the Lord. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what I'm going through. He's the Lord, and He comes in peace to your life. And you just got to call on Him, and He'll answer you, and He'll show you great and mighty things that you don't even know. I know many people that were shocked once they became Christians. They saw the world in a whole different light. And then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, oh, I read that already. Uh, verse 24, they said, therefore among themselves, let us not tear it. Exodus 39, 23 says this, the high priest's robe was not to be torn. So, so here's more scripture fulfilled. Exodus 28, Exodus 39, it was not to be torn. But Caiaphas tore his robe whenever Jesus answered his question. It is as you say. He asked him right on, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it is as you say. And he, the high priest tore his clothes. He was set in his ways. He wanted Jesus dead. But they cast lots for it. Who shall it be? that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which says, My garments they divided among themselves, the four parts. And for my clothing, his, his cloak, his garment, his seamless garment, for my clothing, they cast lots. All right, they're going to tear it. They're going to cast lots to see who get it, gets it. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. Now, verse 25, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, and Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene, four women at the cross. Notice the disciples are absent, except John. We know that John's there because Jesus cried out from the cross, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. I'm telling you, from, from my studies of the Scripture, I think John was right at that age. He was right at the age of maybe puberty, where he wasn't considered a man yet, but he was still a boy. And he could get away with being at the cross because he was probably with his mother, probably hanging on to Mary. Not that she was his mother, but hanging on to her. There was four women, Mary, the mother of Jesus. You can find that in Luke 2. Mary's sister, Salome, which is Matthew 27. You can find Mary, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, the one on the road to Emmaus, was there. Um, and Mary Magdalene. And little is known about her, except that Jesus cast seven demons out of her, and she followed him everywhere. Verse 26 of John 19. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Behold your son. 
Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her as his own home, into her own home. Here, Jesus, though notice, Jesus had brothers, but they at this point were unsaved. And Jesus would not give his mother over to an unsaved individual. Now, John was saved, and he told, you know, he gave the, the, the care of his mother over to a believer. kind of shows you the closeness of how close Christians can be with one another, how they can love on one another, and even give each other a holy kiss. Shows us also that Joseph is most definitely dead at this point. And of course, what I just mentioned, spiritual ties are even stronger than physical ties. The threefold office demonstrated on the cross of Jesus is he is the prophet, he is the priest, and he is the king. No other man in all of history, no other religious leader, no other body mentioned in the scriptures has fulfilled all offices except Jesus. As I say always, David was a high priest. I mean, he was a prophet and a king, but he was not a priest. Samuel was not a king. He was, Samuel was a priest and a prophet, but he was not a king. Jesus is the only one. He's the only one that could die for the sins of the world. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Here's the things I'm going to go through real quickly at the cross that happened at the cross. Seven things were accomplished at the cross. If you want to take notes, take notes, but I'm going to move fast. You can ask me later because we only have a few minutes left. Number one of the, of the things accomplished at the cross, the scriptures were fulfilled. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25 through 27. The power of Satan and death was destroyed. Death has no dominion over you now or me. Yes, we're going to die physically, but our spirits are going to be alive and well with the king. Proof in scripture all over the place with that one. Hebrews 2.14, check that out. He himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Number three, man was freed from the penalty of the law. The handwriting was against us. The requirements of the law was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, Jesus having nailed it to the cross. Number four, Jews and Gentiles are now reconciled. I touched on that last week. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 14, that Jesus broke down the center wall of a middle wall of separation. Now the, the disciples who were Jews were now Christians. Number six, the love of God was demonstrated for God so loved the world. But God demonstrated his love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Number seven, the penalty of our sin was satisfied. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I thirst, he says, in reference to his, his uh, thirst on the cross, his physical suffering. Jesus is now going to reveal, he's going to 
take his final sip of sour wine to pro- it was given to him to prolong his suffering. You thought it was a good gesture, didn't you? They wanted him to live longer so he could feel more pain. And Jesus had to take every drop of the, of the, the wine, the wine of God's wrath. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they lifted a sponge with, his sour, with sour wine upon, put it on hyssop and put it in his mouth. This is not the wine that was mixed with myrrh, which would myrrh, which would numb Jesus' pain. This was sour wine intended to prolong Jesus' suffering. Its prophetic purpose in Psalm 9, 69, 21, they also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. It was an insult. Isaiah 51, thus says the Lord God, and thy God that pleadeth, the cause of his people. Behold, I, Messiah, have taken out thine, your, I mean, oh, let me read it and I'll clarify it. I'll read it twice. Behold, I have taken thine hand, the cup of trembling, out of thine hand, the cup of trembling, even the dregs of the cup of my fury. Thou shalt no more drink again. Jesus is saying, this is saying, if you take of Messiah, you will not have to drink of the, the wrath of Almighty God against sin. Let me read it and put your name in, Jesus' name in there, and your name. Behold, I, Messiah, have taken out of, thine, out of your hand the cup of trembling, even the dregs or the drops of the cup of my fury or my wrath. Thou shalt no more drink of it. You do not have to drink of the wrath of God because all you have to do is receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You confess Him with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, which we will see next week. You will be saved. That's simple. Why is it so hard? This applies only to believers, church. The unsaved world. You will drink of God's wrath against the sin of, of the sin of man if you do not receive Christ as your Savior. Jesus did not go through this for nothing. He went through it to save you. So there didn't have to be you on that cross. It was Him. And He paid for your sins. He became the propitiation. Jesus is receiving His final sip, and that's it. And you according to the Word of God in Isaiah 51, 22. Don't have, do not have to drink of the wrath of God. Jesus did it for you. Verse 30. I better move right along, huh? Jesus gives up His soul to glory. Father, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. He bowed His head and He gave up the Spirit. He gave up his spirit again. He didn't have to die. He could have took all that and stayed living, but he didn't come for that reason. He came to die to pay the wages of yours and my sin, and he did it. Thank you, Jesus. He gives up his soul to glory, saying, Father, I'm coming home to you. My work is done here. I love you, Father. I miss you. I'm coming home. 
Therefore, because it was the Passover day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. Normal crucifixion could last for days, as I showed you earlier. The soldiers were commanded to break the legs. Why break the legs? Because they couldn't push themselves up anymore to get a breath. Therefore, they would die very quickly of suffocation. But when they came to Jesus, he was already dead. So the soldiers did not break his legs. So the one soldier took the spear and thrust it into his side, and water and blood came out, which is the separation of the fluids in your body, which tells anybody that you are dead. Blood and water. This is proof in itself that Jesus died. So this, this other stuff that people come out with, that Jesus just revived himself, nonsense. They saw him die, and they also died horrible martyr's death because of Jesus. Don't tell me that stupidity. This is proof in itself that Jesus died. They saw him die. Therefore, the resurrection was of a more eminent proportion to them. They ate with Jesus. They sat with Jesus. They watched him heal people. They watched him drink water. They watched him eat dinner. They kissed him. They hugged him. They knew he was dead. Or was it simple people like me or you that says, that soldier, a Roman soldier, a Gentile, an idol worshiper, says, the one who pierced the Lord with the spear fell on his knees and he cried out, Surely this is the Son of God. Why? Because he never saw anything like this. He saw men on the cross with hatred spewing from their mouth. And Jesus is saying, Son, today you'll be with me in paradise. Listen, there's no doubt about it, world out there. Jesus Christ is Lord, whether you like it or not. But you should like it because he paid the penalty for your sin. And it's no longer you have to die. He did it all for you. Jesus is saying, I'm coming home to the Father. Arimathea, you know, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, come pick up the bottle, getting permission from, from Rome. And they pick up the body and anoint him with spices. Joseph of Arimathea gives up his rusty old dirty tomb that he honed out of the rocks because he was rich. He gave it over to Jesus only to get it back three days later full of perfume and the resurrection power of the living God. It came with myrrh, which was one of the gifts given by the Magi, if you remember right, and myrrh was for used in death, and it represented sin and mourning, and these people were mourning. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus most likely lost their position in the Sanhedrin over following Jesus. Jesus said, Father, I'm coming home. And now Jesus is with the Father, my question is, and I'll end with this, are you ready to come home? Yeah, shake your head. Raise your hands. Jump up and down. She goes, are you ready to come home? For those of you on the Internet, if you, if you are ready,
to come home. You pull up your bootstraps, grab all the courage that you have, and follow Jesus Christ, because he truly is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Who do you say he is? I say he is Christ the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and you ought also say it. You come just as you are, but when Jesus gets a hold of you, you will not stay as you are. Not if it was a true commitment. So for those of you that said, I'm coming as I am, and you walked out the door the same as you were, you did not experience salvation through Jesus Christ. If you come as you are, and you change who you are, through the power of the Holy Spirit who will help you, you will be saved. To God be the glory. I love you all. Let's pray. Father, I love you. We love you. We remember your death, your burial, your resurrection, and we live for you all the days of our life because only you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all gods. And we love you and thank you for what you did for us. Lord Jesus, we owe you a debt we could never repay. Thank you, Jesus. And Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Everybody remembers next Sunday's Easter. We're having communion, and I'm going to continue into the resurrection. God bless you all. I love you.